Episode 4 is in two parts. What follows is Part 1 of my interview with Brett Heiner. Okay, welcome to Episode 4, again, of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. Today I'm here with Brett Heiner, my friend, colleague, and brother, and uh, we're going to be exploring all kinds of things today. Welcome, Brett. Good to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here in this comfortable place. <laughs> yeah, this comfortable place, as yeah. uh, you know, Brady and I started off talking when we did the first episode. You know, here we are, Recovery Bridge, where you know this mm-hmm. all kind of started for a lot of us. Yeah. And you and I got to know each other way before we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been bozos together for a, a long time. And uh, met at just down the road here, yeah. at Recovery Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And with uh, one of my mentors, and I'm assuming one of yours too, but mm-hmm. Joe Boberg. Absolutely. Yeah, he did, he did a lot for me, and as well as you did. <laughs> Very kind of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And vice versa. So how did, how, you just personally in your life. How did you end up here? How did you, and I don't mean just at recovery. I mean, I don't mean at Lighthouse, but I mean, mm-hmm. how did you end up at this place in your life? Because I don't want to tell your story and you tell it best. Wow. Yeah. Let's, the the fast forward button. Mm-hmm. Um, I've told that story uh, seriously a, a gazillion times and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and uh, It happens. Yeah, just a little bit, you know. Um and, you know, the story's changed. It really has. Um, if you had asked me uh, 20 years ago, 23 years ago, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it was one story, and it, it still it all has points to some level of truth. But the way it started for me is, um, first of all, I was born and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, had a life and a, and a family and, and all the joys and all the... Uh, the trials that come with that, but uh, so my to to keep it brief is, um, you know I I just grew up I grew up here in uh, Salt Lake actually Granger Utah, and Granger, a family yeah. mother father uh, brother sister, I was born at the end of that uh, lineage and and was the baby, and so you know that plays into it. But uh, to keep it short, it um, you know I think a pretty uh, consistent, you know, upbringing, you know, um, here in Utah, I had, uh, the religious influence and I actually have had, and, um, for the most part had a, a really good experience, uh, with that. And I, I credit that to the people around me, you know, the people in our neighborhood. Um, you know, I still have who I refer to as my Mormon mom, uh, a very nurturing, loving, accepting woman. And you grew up, your household was was LDS or no? No, 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 no we didn't. Um, so, um, no, we had, uh, you know, there there was, my mother was LDS, you know, per se, you know, mm-hmm. on paper, but uh, hadn't lived that, um, that religion, you know, for a long time. Okay. My father, definitely not. You know, we had, we had uh, alcoholism uh, in our family, um, and... And so, yeah, it was just, you know, middle-class family, hard-working father, dedicated mother, um, and, you know, great siblings, and we just grew up, you know. But there's so much to that, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the psychology and the emotions, the feelings, the, um, you know, you could, you could call it uh, uh, experience of, of trauma or fear, you know, that get ingrained. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. yeah you, you, the intergenerational part of... of um of alcoholism or at least addiction mm-hmm. um, when it has to do with substances it gets carried through so easily right. within those, those certain kinds of family dynamics yeah yeah and so it it was there but i um you know and even more so lately i'm i'm understanding and and i don't know the exact uh entity that it is but with mental health and and family dynamics they've actually uh you know here recently taking taken out the word uh functional family 
understanding, <laughs> you know, that, that uh, you know, that's more of a myth than, than it is in actuality, you know. So, Does that mean they've taken out dysfunctional? Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, it's just, you know, I think there's always some level of dysfunction. I mean, well, without it. Dysfunction, right? I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not really, I don't know if it's a zero-sum game. You mean like yeah. it's all one way or the other, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, in review, I, I, can, I can see where, you know, there was dysfunction in the family uh, and even more so recently, you know, but, but no more so than than a family that didn't have the alcoholism. I think there there are certain things that come along with that that are um, uh, pervasive in your life. You know, if there's trust issues and safety issues, I think that goes, you know, quite a bit. I think when, when we can grow up in a in a system where we do feel safe, <clears throat> you know, that there there's something that gets to flourish in that. And so I would say there was some mistrust, you know, mm-hmm. um, in... Uh, in our family, just because of the inconsistency, you know, where alcohol came in, there was a lot of love, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of love in there as well. So, but, um, yeah, so I, I, I grew up, you know, and I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of friends. I had, uh, adventures. Uh, it was a different time, you know, it was, um, you know, wait for one parent to holler out at night and you come home, you know, we all, uh, knew each other. We got a, um, you know, there wasn't as much fear out there. And so, um, that's what I'm saying, you know, uh, maybe not as much safety at the time, but then socially, um, there wasn't as much fear. So I think it all, um, you know, kind of evens out. But uh, well, when you say socially, there's not as much fear. Are you, you're referring to just in the world today? Is there, in well, our with, communities or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With social media. It's, um, I don't, I, 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 I see these young people today and I, I can't imagine the, the anxiety and fear Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I turn on my smartphone and and I get a news report, mm-hmm. and and because of social media, because of our ability to see uh, really what's going on, you know, not that it wasn't always there. However, it's just we we just see it day after day after day. It's like the construction cones. You know, there's just all these orange cones going on, and after a while, you 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 ignore them, but they're still, you know, they're still evading your space and your psychology and your emotion i never thought of it quite that way but yeah. you're, you're right we do make plenty of jokes too about mm-hmm. um utah being a, per- a perpetual eternal construction site yeah the highways here and uh, there seems to be a little bit of a lull at the moment but uh, i agree that's a good point i never quite yeah. thought of you know going out into the world and thinking of everything as being a, you know a bit in turmoil and chaos and yeah yeah the, de- definitely the um the advent of um, smart technology into our hands has increased the amount of anxiety, stress, mm-hmm. and um, depressive states, um, especially in young people. So I, I think that's yeah. a great point. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't know how all, you know, realizing I'm, I'm finally a little bit realizing uh, my bozo-ness. It is actually well, good to, to dumb up a little bit because I, I, I thought I knew for a long time. and uh, But, uh, <laughs> you know, with that, it's, <laughs> you know, the ego. It I don't know how much information it needs to, to put you on guard and in survival, you know. And, and so it may be the same amount that I that I experienced growing up that, that the young people are experiencing with all the social media with all the exposure but what I do know is or I what I believe I know is that the ego takes that information and to protect us and then it becomes this battle and war within us that I don't even think we know we're fighting and so there's this angst you know I know um, an internal conflict internal conflict internal and stress uh, anxiety you know so um, you know I can't do a comparison but I uh, I can't say that, you know, that growing up there, there was that, that, that stress or anxiety, uh, however it was brought on, you know, and, and so, you know, if I get back once again, my long story short, <laughs> um, uh, but I, you know, I just, uh, um, life was an experience back then. It was, you know, it was adventurous. Uh, um, I, I was the kid that, that would take risks and get in trouble. You know, I, um, I, I didn't seem to have a stop button, you know, and you didn't so, seem to have a stop no, I, I didn't No, it was, here's the line and, and then cartwheel over a few times, you know, um, <laughs> and, and part of that was, you know, wanting to be seen 
and sure. and attention and well, the youngest. I mean, I relate to that. I'm the youngest yeah. too, so there's a tendency to do things that stand out a little bit from time to time. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so I, I, you know, did what I was doing. I was um, active, uh, athletic, if you would. Uh, when I hit 15, and I had a couple experiences with with alcohol where you know I got to participate in in the adult. I, I remember one time. Uh, at a very young age, and I would say nine or ten, something like that, maybe a little bit older. Um, me and my my brother, my father, and a couple other people, we we were clearing a, a baseball diamond, and so it was just this very masculine uh, work um, uh, kind of fellowship of the men, and and it was a it was a long hot day, a lot of you know dirt and sweat and. And, you know, stuff that I loved. And at the end of the day, you know, my, my father was having a beer. We were sitting on the bleacher looking at the, the work that we had accomplished. And we really had accomplished it. You know, we, um, you know, uh, all of us were just there looking at the, and it, it was one of those moments to stay in your head. It was just beautiful. And we're sitting on the, uh, the bleacher. My dad's having his, his cold beer. And, and um, you know, he looked at me and he said, man, we, we did a, a man's day's work here. Uh, you know, how would you like uh, some beer? Yeah, you know, this going, and right? yeah, and yeah. so you know, I got to experience, uh, you know, being in that energy. You know, almost this, this equality. You and know, camaraderie. Camaraderie. Well, an equality with uh, hey, I'm I'm part of the manship. You You're know? fifteen, right? So, so I, I was a little there. older. Yeah, I was thinking ten, eleven. Yeah, I would go a little older. Okay. Um, but because, somewhere in this is mid adolescence. Yes. Yeah. About. Yeah, and so I, you know, I had that experience, and and alcohol, you know, were always about the adults, and so there was this, this mini transformational. I've arrived, you know, mm-hmm. and and then to associate it with alcohol, uh, really set in motion <laughs> a, a a new adventure, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I, I didn't. Did you know that t- that day that with that first beer? Did you? I mean, you hear this, you know. Yeah. In stories, you know, when it, it mm-hmm. talks about someone who struggled with addiction, they go, I took that first drink and I knew right then and there. And I didn't know any of that, you know, when I, yeah. I started. I, I didn't know what that looked like for me. And, of course, you know, I don't identify as, as an addict. But do you, did you know at that moment that something kind of clicked or not? I, I must have. If I, I wouldn't be telling the story okay. with such energy and feeling, you know. Something something happened, yeah. you know. And there's many, many, you know, um, uh moments like that within my life where there was just this uh feeling completely you know within and apart or uh out and separate you know and so those are the ones now um once again I, you know this is a recapitulation uh, an emotional telling you know and not a factual you know but you know there was um it was it became something that yeah yeah you know you know just uh it's ingrained so that yeah, was a you know an occasional you know, it was the, the ooh, I'm going to do this you know and I and I had a role model was you know it's okay to drink as long as and then most of it was you know to be you know a man go to work you know provide uh, take care of business kind of like a checklist but a, yeah. what, what an adult adult is supposed to do if, right. if they're, they're going to do this then to to that be okay they have to sort of go off this checklist of things right. that they're supposed to be. Somewhat competent, you know, right, and consistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I stepped into it that way. Now, um, being my father was uh, an extremely hard worker. Um, that and and work was so important to him. Uh, of course, I'm I'm going to rebel against that. So now I've got <laughs> I got the drinking, and I don't want to to be productive. So uh, it was really the bread show. You know what? Uh, what you know? How can I? You know. Uh, continue to not have the same because that's what happens as well you know with the drinking is is that moment you drink and then all of a sudden something shifts and and some of that anxiety goes away mm-hmm. you know or at least that's the idea uh initially you know um so i you know i started off into my my young teens as uh someone that that found some relief you know mm-hmm. by drinking and and some courage if you would liquid courage and and then it also allowed me just to, um, the, the social anxiety, if you would, you know, the, um, to, to not only be funny, but really take the risk and put myself out there, you know? And so I did that. And, um, 
you know, I, I, I stayed engaged in the sports. I did a lot of the same things a little bit by slowly, you know, the, the, the drinking, the partying, uh, all of that associated started to fall away, you know, cause uh, you know, all those activities were something that, that, uh, helped me be a part of, uh, it society. Got yeah. The, got the, the connection. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, but I more and more relied on coping with the, the alcohol to do that. So it, um, you know, it stayed with me, uh, mm-hmm. through my, um, my young years. Uh, I was, it was interesting. I never saw alcohol as a drug, you know, that intoxicant, right. um, uh, because of the, I think of the family structure, some of the social, but, uh, I was actually anti, you know, drug people that would do, you know, drugs. And back then it was, uh, marijuana that was still a very taboo, uh, drug, you know, um, I, I don't think I ever heard gateway with it. I just thought it was a drug, right. um, uh, cocaine, you know, and, and there was other drugs, but, uh, mainly that was about it. And, but I, I was very judgmental of people that did th- those kind of drugs. Sure. Well, and that. Actually, that type of stereotyping is very common. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still exists today. It's, I mean, this is part of the, the issues that still you know, happen in, in all different areas of life when we talk about discrimination. But they're, they're still, I mean, it's much less than it was 20 years ago mm-hmm. or 30 years ago. But the idea that if you're an alcoholic or if you, your alcohol is your DOC, your drug of choice, mm-hmm. then you're different than other people because... You're not doing necessarily illegal or um, uh, clandestine type things. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it is. It's still there. Um, yet I found that that alcohol overall had caused me m- more trouble, more relationship conflict, uh, more separation, uh, more anxiety than even you know the drugs that I did get into. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, yeah, so I, I drank, uh, I, you know, I, I typically drink more than my friends, uh, uh, more consistently, um, you know, and that that didn't seem to bother me. I, th- I thought, you know, I just can handle it better, you know. Uh-huh. So um, my history, you know, with the alcohol and drugs is, is I actually, um, so the drinking had been there for, you know, since about 15, 16, started getting heavy at 17. Um, my first... Uh, uh, experience or experimental uh, uh, indulgence with with other drugs was on my 19th birthday uh, I tried cocaine for the first time and it wasn't until I was 21 that I tried marijuana but when I did cocaine um, you know I had a lot of uh, scare tactics in my head <laughs> you know about oh the you know what's going to happen and um, you know, I don't know is how I remember it, but you know, oh, you don't want to do coke. You know, you you think you fly and you'll jump off a building, whatever that was. I didn't have that experience. In fact, I thought, geez, I think I can fly if I just dedicate myself. You know, um, I can do this. I'll go to school. I'll get my airline pilot. You know, <laughs> and and so I had a the you know a very profound experience. Now the next day I went, wow, that was just too good. I uh, even then I, I I thought, don't you don't want to go there because it's 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 just too good. So. Um, I didn't, you know, for quite a few years. Um, mm-hmm. Marijuana, on the other hand, um, I did it, and, and, you know, I laughed for a second, and then not so much fun. So it's never, a, you know, a draw to me. And I think that's important because the, the medications um, that, that we're trying to dole out today are just ways to cope with certain personalities or psychological types. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I was never diagnosed, but ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that was, the stimulants worked, mm-hmm. you know. Marijuana, not so much, you know. So um, it, it goes back to that, you know, trying to self-medicate and 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 trying to find that peak spiritual experience or that that peak non-rational experience yes. and get away from everyday life, yeah. you know. So um, you know, my story goes on. I've um, multiple, you know, conflicts, chaos, drama in my life that were directly linked to the to the substance use and being human yeah but by the way something that that really hit me when you were just mentioning that that looking for a different kind of experience a peak experience in some ways um and this is one of the things that gets forgotten when we talk about um, substances and the the use of them whether it be for self-medication or not um and i mean i talk about this in my book but deepak chopra and, and carl Jung also um 
give a different picture, a different slant on why people mm-hmm. use drugs or alcohol or, or different substances to mm-hmm. escape. And then, and, and there's that whole other aspect to this that you know, when it comes to hallucinogens or or drugs that are considered to expand consciousness, that people are looking for peak, peak experiences in mm-hmm. some way. It may just be going about it maybe in an unhealthy manner, or mm-hmm. they've developed habits around that that kind of actually push them or guide them away from having you know a sense of a release or or even a sense of connection to one of disconnection from self. So mm-hmm. it, maybe what starts as looking for a peak experience in life uh, turns into quite just the opposite in a lot of times. Because right. I don't want to I don't want to invalidate that point because I think it's a really important point that often gets overlooked and we don't mm-hmm. often address this aspect that there is an aspect, there is a part to this process which is people wanting to learn or discover aspects of themselves that maybe they didn't have uh, the the means or the ability to otherwise. I absolutely agree and I the the difficulty and with that in in my experience is uh I was seeking this peak experience, right? And right. You, you can mystical, spiritual, you know, this this sense of godness, whatever that is, and I was seeking that at the same time there was more that I was running from, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, I could say yes, I was seeking a uh, this peak experience, whatever that is. However, it I didn't have the ability to to understand, you know, you know that the whatever the percentage was, eighty percent of it was just trying to run from the negativity. So I agree that that those seeking a uh, a different awakening. Um, might find success doing it that way. Um, it would take some very inward looking to see, is that true or is this a running? Because yeah. that's where the addiction comes up. Sure. You know, you're not looking uh, so much to get to but go from. And I think it's probably a combination. And so there's the caution in that. Um, well, and, and I, that's yeah. how I looked at it in the beginning. That I mean, I, I, have, I have my older sister, I will say, was my... <laughs> This is always a terrible thing to say because she passed many years ago, but um, and not from drugs. Uh, she she passed, and but she kind of introduced me to to drugs, and she said, you know, this is you use these carefully and cautiously, and you use them to have different experiences and different connections and different understanding of your consciousness and awareness, mm-hmm. and it was kind of this idea of developing deeper insight. Now, mm-hmm. yes, I, I get that. You know um, that that was the purpose, and and she professed primarily using marijuana and well LSD. And I, I was in my early teens when I, when I kind of came under her. This sounds terrible, but her her, her tutorial or her tutorship, yeah, her, her spell, yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I I mean I learned a lot from my sister. She mm-hmm. really we were very very close, and um, but I looked back over over time. It wasn't. The things that she was trying to teach me at that point, they, they were valid. And they mm-hmm. were based upon her experience, which she was in her life. Mm-hmm. And she was six, seven years older than I was. Um, but what wasn't true is that what I did with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was true for me. But uh, again, I used it more as an escape eventually mm-hmm. instead of a way to connect to something and learn more about myself. It kind of, I, I hijacked it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it. The drugs didn't hijack me. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, and and I know that 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 the, you know the the ownership of that is essential you know and I mean I get to more of that you know down um, you know in my recovery process because it is you know uh, ownership versus accountability mm-hmm. you know ac- accountability can can tend to you know now I'm wrong you know and instead of a, an ownership of allowance and and I realize even up to this point Paul you know we're we're talking there's so so many. Uh, directions we go this is i you know we're not trying to figure it out there's the bozo nuts right <laughs> how can we possibly figure this out because i just think back of what we just spoke about mm-hmm. and and each and every one of those uh paths that that we we touched on just is ongoing you know sure. there's yeah. there's the bozo it's, it's there's there's not a a specific thing you know that that uh that creates the uh, you know the dysfunction you know sure it's it's not it's not strictly trauma or some kind of primal wounding or Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, loss of self, but there, or in, in this case, just wanting to get fucked up. Yeah. Um, there, I'm sure there's someone out there thinking that I'm a bozo because I said, I was taught to use drugs in a functional way by, you know, an older sibling. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that sounds fucked up when I say it, but I also know that it's all about it. It comes down to intent. It's what I did with it. I'm the one that hijacked it when I use the word hijack. Right. And that really does play back into, mm-hmm. I think, what you were talking about. Even back then, if I look at why did I hijack it? Fear. Yeah. Fear. Fear of myself, fear of taking ownership in certain ways, but also the, the fear of being okay. You know, I don't, yeah. Um, and that's when it kind of gets back to that issue for me. It was at mm-hmm. that point of beginning to unpack my shame. I didn't get that until mm-hmm. later, of course. Right. Anyway. Yeah, it's still unpacking, right? I mean, it's a, it, yeah. or awareness, if you would. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So the 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 alcohol, the drug use. Um, uh, you know, I did dive into to the stimulants uh, in my early 20s. Um, you know, the alcoholics stayed consistent. There was attempts to quit along the way, um, some realizations that, um, you know, that it was creating suffering in my life, that it, most definitely that, that it was hurting, you know, others in my life. Um, even though I, I, I know today I, I didn't know exactly how I had this idea that it was creating uh, situations of, of hurt and you know the um, uh, separation in relationships, but I didn't know exactly. You know, I had an idea, mm-hmm. so I'd I'd attempt to quit, and I had a, a couple uh, short stints at, at at being sober. But it, there there was just still that 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 anxiety within me, the fear, as you said, mm-hmm. um, and needing to somehow um, alleviate it uh, uh, or uh, dismiss it. You know, to to really feel like um, that I could, you know, go forward in life and create what I wanted. So um, it was off again, on again with the drugs, um, <clears throat> and and it was in my uh, early thirties. Um, I'd been in a relationship for about five years uh, that had, you know, um, a lot of alcohol use, um, mistrust. You know, they were just the party lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And and then reintroduced into to stimulants. Um, crystal meth was just coming out at that time. It would have been right around 89, 1990, something like that. Meth started to, to get a little bit more mainstream. There was always that on the fringe. But uh, I remember the first time, um, and I actually went to, to a dealer to get some uh, cocaine. Mm-hmm. Which I hadn't been doing a lot of at that time, but uh, you know, it was, hey, it's a weekend. We got an extra, you know, a uh, couple dollars. Let's do it. And uh, he said, "Oh, I don't have that, but I have, you know, this." And I said, "What's this?" He said, "Well, it's uh, crystal meth." And I said, "Oh, haven't heard of it." He said, "Remember crosstops?" And I go, "Oh yeah, <laughs> with fond memory. Yeah, those things help me drink more, you know." And uh, <clears throat> so he said, "Really, yeah, playing cards was it such an adventure?" <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, cards for twenty-four hours straight. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, you spinning your wheels and going nowhere, you know. And uh, that that was me. It was just I was I was just. Full steam ahead, just going nowhere, you know. <laughs> and uh, going nowhere at 100 uh, miles an hour. <laughs> uh, I got a vision in my head, smoke coming from my heels, and it just the hole got deeper and deeper, you know. Right. And uh, yeah, so you know, but here's that. There's that moment on the on the bleachers, you know, with alcohol, <clears throat> and 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 they said, well, yeah, give this a go, you know. So I, it, it, you know, it was something that I would uh, uh, snort, you know, and do it that way, and I and I. I did some, and and not to romanticize, not romanticize it's just profound moment. Um, there was this initially, you know, the the pain of that toxic, uh, you know, going into my system, and and then the awakening, you know, it was like whoa, mm-hmm. and and it just seemed the focus, the life, and and I remember thinking, I have been waiting for this my whole life. Oh my gosh! So that was that moment. Yeah, and wow. I went wow. This is it. This is how the rest of the people see the world. And there was an energy, you know, um, an energy, a clarity that I felt. Not that it was there, you know, because this was an internal experience. Mm-hmm. Reality was still, or life outside of that was exactly the way it was, you know. So um, that that uh, that impact, you know, it, it took about a year. And um, uh, tolerance went up the drug use went up and um and it got really bad i mean bad 
um, uh, chaotic, you know, yeah. uh, self-focused, self-absorbed, um, you know, really dark, I would say, you know, a lot of shadow work, which we may get into that. Because uh, I've had periods of, we do. yeah, we of doing the shadow work. We if, if if we hurry up on this, yeah, if I do, it's no hurry. And, <laughs> let's, let's just do what we need to. Yeah, let's, let's do, do that. We yeah, we'll camp out here today. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that was that was uh, you know right around thirty, and and it was a year, uh, give or take, you know, some. But it life got you know uh, crazy. The family got really concerned because they'd see me you know with a lot of ups and downs. Did mm-hmm. um, you know? Uh, tried to motivate me and guide me, control me into uh, to doing it a little bit more um, uh, controlled or normal, you know, what the family wanted to see. But, uh, um, yeah, and I actually, you know, through the, the stimulant use, my alcohol um, use uh, dropped down to near uh, non-existent, you know. So, okay. I was, so there was a part of me going, hey, you know, this is a... I've cured my alcoholism, you know, because <laughs> I knew Yay I was, math. yeah, yeah, I knew I was an alcoholic, right. and um, <laughs> but uh, as long as as I could keep working or you know uh, at least functioning, producing, you know, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. it was okay, and and it, and it was actually, you know, I was just doing what I did, but uh, so it it all crashed down, and. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I had some legal issues, nothing, you know, horrific, but, uh, you know, unpaid this, unpaid that, uh, you know, up in that time, I think I'd accumulated three DUIs, you know, from the age of, uh, 18 to, uh, you know, 28. So in 10 years, I think three DUIs, uh, but it was always just, you know, the misunderstanding or it's not my fault, you know, uh, ah, blink or didn't work. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Victim yeah. Victim narrative was strong. Yeah. I mean, the, the first DUI, it was like, well, that's just part of the game, you know, it's, you, you do it. And, right. and, uh, so I had legal issues. Um, but I really did go into a really dark place, you know, with that, that kind of stimulant use and my use pattern would be to, to stay up, you know, very, very little sleep, if, if any at all for, you know, five, six days, you know, mm-hmm. and nutrition, I wasn't eating. I, you know, my weight would fluctuate, on these runners, you know, 20, sometimes, you know, 25, 30 pounds. And, and so very unhealthy, you know, just very unconscious and unaware. And, um, and it just chased itself, you know, the, the, it just became its own, uh, entity in life. So, um, it was October 6th, 1994. I'd been up for, you know, six days trying to move out of a, a house, trying to end a relationship that, that, um, you know, it was just very unhealthy. Um, and, uh, and quite honestly, um, you know, when I found out later when I did get in treatment, um, uh, diagnosed as drug induced schizophrenia, I was hallucinating. I was seeing things, hearing things, uh, just insanity. You're it, having psychotic episodes. Absolutely. Yes. The psychosis yeah. and which, you know, uh, comes from the whole combination, lack of sleep and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the toxins, the, uh, the, you know, not having nutrition in my body. So, well, and sleep is is the big one. A couple of days yeah. without mood, there is a point. Yeah, and it's proven over and over again that after so many days without sleep, the we the brain starts functioning in a completely different way than we consider normal. Guess, right, right. Yeah, a normal, somewhat healthy state. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I, I've been there too. I mean, yeah. mine was yeah. cocaine. I had some cocaine mm-hmm. psychosis a few times and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I swore that uh, the F- the FBI was parked out in front of front mm-hmm. of my house with uh, uh, guns, uh, rifles in their hands, and they were just waiting to come in. So right, yeah, and you're right. The, the brain is is operating, you know, differently. Yeah, and yeah. So it, October sixth, and and um, you know, as a danger to myself and others, because when you're uh, that disassociated with, you know, the 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 society and the, and that that you know reality that normalized belief, um, you know, you become the renegade. So uh, I I did get end up getting you know a lot to it, but I um, you know the police were called. I had old worn out, so they they handcuffed me, took me to jail. I didn't think it was jail at the time because of the psychosis. Where did uh, you think you were? Oh, geez, I it was it was part of that government you know conspiracy oh. as well, but but. It, from where I was mentally, it was, 
it was increased. So I didn't think I was at a, at a county jail. I, I thought so it was a black site where you were being interrogated. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Watched and, and manipulated. Yeah. And, and, and so as I was there, uh, and initially when I, when I, uh, told my story mm-hmm. as part of it, mm-hmm. it, it most definitely was a spiritual experience and it still is today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and I, I stole, you know, most people are probably going to wonder why you mm-hmm. say that. And, and I mean, I know why. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand it because I've been in similar mm-hmm. shoes. But mm-hmm. do you want to explain why that's a spiritual experience? So, well, it, it you know, spiritual or mystical, it it didn't uh, make any rational sense uh-huh. whatsoever. Right. And um, and there was an energy, a, a power source that I'd never experienced before. Mm-hmm. And so, that's where I say this spiritual. And I was you know raised with you know, uh, similar beliefs, you know, a lot of people, at least from my culture is, uh, you know, that there is a God that he's, you know, he's outside of you he's mm-hmm. watching, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the super duper, you know, Santa Claus and, uh, and that, um, that, kind, that he's all loving, loving and all justice, male, yeah. you know, yes. omnipresent yes. deity that's right. overseeing life and, and keeping things safe, supposedly. Yeah. So, in in this mixed up brain, there was still that that programming and and um, you know the belief system was there. So as I'm in jail, the spiritual experience was that um, it was outside of me, and that there was this this uh, shadow and this light, you know. And at the time in jail, it was all shadow, mm-hmm. and so really I was I was hallucinating. I was seeing uh, different entities or forms, you know, in human form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but knew that there was more energy to it, and there was all this manipulation going on by them. And and if I, if I can be honest, it I, I have a memory of having a sense of who were the inmates there, wherever there was. Right. And yet, right next to him was this entity <laughs> that was talking to him. And for the most part, the the inmates, if you would, <laughs> I don't think were really aware that it was happening. And there was. Things being said, like, look, you know, this is bad, but, but you know, if, if there, you could do a few things, if this could change, it, you know, it's going to be all right, you know, it's, it's, but you're going to have to take some action. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, uh, that was part of the conspiracy. They want me to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yet there was one, one entity, a, a, a human, mm-hmm. you know, uh, form that I was seeing or hallucinating. And I had a sense that he was in charge of the whole thing. And, and it, and, because I just wanted to be left alone and get the hell out of wherever I was at, you know, I was just kind of standing back. And, and at one point, um, I felt so threatened by this person or spirit or energy mm-hmm. that, it, that I went up to it. And I said, I don't know who you are, but you, you don't want to, you know, effing mess with me because I'll do things you just can't imagine. Right. right. <laughs> put, put on my tough guy bozo hat and, and, uh, <laughs> and really that's tough a, bozo. yeah. And, Oh my gosh! And and at that moment, something shifted in me and at me, not mm-hmm. in me. And I felt fear, you know. And I, I like I said, I've been looking at my anxiety and fear for a long time, and especially now in retrospect. But something shot through me—a fear that 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 I still can't even really describe today. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I went, you know, there's more to this than a government. You know, the government thing felt like you know a little uh, ant in an ant hill. You know. And that was just my experience, and and the only thing that I that I could grasp at that time is you know spir- you know the spiritual sense, and mm-hmm. it was the adversary, you know, it was the, the devil, the shadow, mm-hmm. uh, because <clears throat> of the association, the negative association to fear, and it just shot through me, and I I, I backed up, I withdrew, I I thought, boy, this is it, this is the end, I'm going out this way, um, and. And it was interesting. I, I thought I'm done. Whatever done was, you know. Mm-hmm. I was thinking death, and um, and I just, you know, there. It was interesting. The only thing that I thought at that moment is I just wanted to get a hold of my mother, mm-hmm. you know, who was the the one that was constantly worrying and wanting, you know, um, for me to to not self destruct. Mm-hmm. And I had this this need to talk to her and tell her I loved her first of all, okay. and that this was not her fault uh-huh. and it it was a, a mission it was the only thing that i you know thinking that i was at the end of my days sure um and it was the only thing that i i thought to do <clears throat> and 
and so with that energy i just was just you know trying to avoid you know being got whatever the got was by whatever this was and um and it was a few hours i i never did get booked in into the the regular jail that was mm. more of the holding and i don't know six hours later you know um they they called my name and they you know come up you're you're getting bailed and i I, oh, I talked to, to my uh, girlfriend at the time, mm-hmm. and I was asking her to get me out. Um, the The parents actually were trying to keep me there a little bit longer so they could get an intervention going, sure. not knowing that I was having divine intervention <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, right? Yeah. And uh, But I did get called. and, and in, as I, Internal di- divinity, which... Oh, I mean, my gosh. Yeah. Even though it gets projected outward, this is internal divinity on some level. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. See, and that's where it changes for me, is it, it's not a, a, an outside experience. Right. It, yeah. it was most definitely this, this inward experience. So I remember getting there and thinking, all right, I'm going to get out. I still had this sense that, you know, my days were numbered, you know, that for whatever reason, you know, I'd done too much drugs. Uh, the, this energy was was out to get me, but uh, right when I was getting ready to um, to get released and be able to go out the the locked door, um, and with this incredible fear, you know, uh, uh, alive in me, you know, alive in me and, and resonating in me, uh, right before I went out, um, something happened and this love came right. And once again, the only way I was describing it back then was that it came from God. I was mm-hmm. touched by the sure. the love of God, and it just consumed me. And where there was that fear, uh, the it was like the love doused it, you know. And this was an outside-in experience. And so that's when it came, you know, to me. I am done. I'm done drinking and drugging. Kind of uh, like my kind of life like is changing up like a sunrise, kind of yeah. actually experiencing a, a, a rebirth. I, I don't want to. I don't want to shift yet, but I. Yeah. That's what. That's what I'm feeling as you describe mm-hmm. this. That sense of actually waking, awakening. Yes. And sort of that rebirth. That this is a new day. Absolutely. This is a new day. Yeah. And 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 I. You know the the opportunity I've had to be in recovery, uh, for the time I have. There's been many of those. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, not so much. You know, I wasn't so conscious about it. Mm-hmm. But I did get out and. Uh, and uh, I, was, I had no idea what life was going to bring hmm. other than the way I was doing it was done. And that that I knew, you know, and mostly around the drugs and the alcohol. I had no idea it meant everything. Um, but even when I went out, it was different. My father was there to pick me up, and, and typically he would be uh, in a lot of fear and incredibly angry. Hmm. And when I looked at him, there was no anger. Trust. There was fear and sadness, uh-huh. and he said, "You know, come come home with me." And I'm like, "Oh, you got no idea what's going on, you know." <laughs> and but there's this shift. What was so going to be being new? Vulnerable. He was vulnerable because if Absolutely. he was expressing the, yeah. the sadness, then he, mm-hmm. the fear. I mean, which I understand, and, and you you and I know mm-hmm. this so well that you know fear sort of stops us from mm-hmm. actually experience grief mm-hmm. and loss. But he was being vulnerable with you in that moment. Absolutely. Which, I mean, I would, I, not being in, in your shoes, but I would think that, wow, you know, mm-hmm. here's dad and he's not the way that I remember him. Right. So, which is also cool because that really means, again, that you did have this shift, this awakening, because you saw your dad differently too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I think it comes, you know, since I had had the shift, mm-hmm. I was able to see him differently as you, well. Right. Yeah. And this is the great aspect yeah. of how narratives and stories get changed and why mm-hmm. we can rewrite and, and reauthor them in, even in a moment. Mm-hmm. And that, I really appreciate you sharing this part of the yeah. story because that's such an important It is, yeah. Being your own author. Yeah. Yeah, being reauthored. And yeah, so it, we, um, uh, and, and once again, you know, different was he said, you know, come home and, and typically I say, look, you know, no way. Thanks for getting me out. I got to go clean up the mess back at the apartment with a girlfriend. And, and it, it started this, um, I saw him and I said, you know, instead of what do I need? It was, what do we need? Oh, okay. And, and I said, yes, which was completely against my, you know, my, uh, mode of operation. It was, uh-huh. I always try to take care of me. And, and so there was through that process of, of dark and light, there was a knowing of we, and and I 
I went with him. You know, I knew he needed it. I knew my mom needed it. Um, uh, I, I probably didn't have the awareness, but even my, you know, my uh, girlfriend at the time, <laughs> that there needed to be this this space, you know. And so I went. It was for a few hours, um, and I, but then I had, you know, um, a lot going on, and I knew I had to get back, talk to girlfriend, and let her know we got to be done with this. Um, she actually had called and got and got help from her family. So when we did reunite, you know, later that night, uh, we were both in agreement that 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 it needed to change, mm-hmm. and and so you know we threw away what you know paraphernalia, what even drugs, you know, and back then we needed, you know, a little bit. We we could have used twenty dollars, you know, uh, but we we decided no, we're done, you know, even getting money from. Them. So we threw away what we had, and and it just became this new story this new journey and from that moment it was um well you know in three days i talked to the family a little bit i kind of had you know uh hid out for a while i didn't have the the same withdrawal symptoms that i'd had before Mm -hmm. before when i do that it was i was down and out for three four days Mm -hmm. i wasn't that way you Mm -hmm. know it was a whole new story and uh and a way of being so uh eventually you know a couple days that later my my sister um, who, you know, was incredibly close with, uh, she said, Hey, you know, I'm going to get you. We need to talk, you know, and I'm waiting for at the same time, the drug dealer that, that I wished would come around more did. And he goes, Hey, I got that. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but you don't want to be here. And, and he was gone quicker than lightning through the sky, man. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he was out, you know, like I said, a new story. And, uh, uh, so I, me and my sister, we get in the car and I'm, uh, you know, I got the shame. I've got the, uh, all kinds of stuff going on. I, I walk in and I look around, there's my whole family. It's an intervention. And, uh, and they had their letters. They told me they loved me. Um, you know, they were able to intervene because it was drugs. You know, mm-hmm. they finally figured out, yes, drugs, you know, not just alcohol. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, we've got your bags packed. Uh, you know, we want you to go right now, jump on a plane, go to St. George. And St. George at that time, because I had been so, you know, confined to, to you know, my small environment mm-hmm. here. That, that could have been a million miles away. Okay. And uh, I remember, you know, even then I had that... Um, uh, arrogance or, um, and, and maybe it wasn't arrogance. Maybe it was, um, insight that I, I, I couldn't subordinate, you know, to it. I had to, uh, not have a subordination, but really I needed to choose in. And I remember looking at him and I held my fingers up and I pinched my two fingers together. I said, look, I've got this much self-esteem left and you can't fucking have it. And, and, I said, I appreciate what you're doing, and I'm out. And I, I took off, you know, and I, I, I used to be a long-distance runner and ran for years. Man, I just took off, you know, and in bad shape, and and, uh, and I got as far as I could, you know, which was pr- pretty good considering, you know, I had uh, the condition I was in. And back then, no cell phones, you know, those kind of things. They, we may have had uh, beepers, you know, at least the, the drug dealers did. Um but uh, I, I remember getting on the phone and, and ringing up mom, and I said, what the hell, you know, was that? And, and she said, look, we just want the best for you. And I said, I get it. I said, but I'm not doing it that way, you know. Once, not knowing, I didn't want to subordinate. You, know, right. you couldn't force me. If you forced me into it, um, uh, I just knew that, that it would have a different feel and, and possibly an outcome. So... I said, here's what I'll do, you know, negotiated my surrender. <laughs> and I said, I'll get an assessment, uh, independent, and if they think I need inpatient, I'll go. Because yeah. I tried AA um, probably eight years before that and had some success. Mm-hmm. You know, it was back when I was trying to get off the Coke, and mm-hmm. and I knew if I was going to get off the Coke, I had to stop drinking. So I went, and I did 30 or 60, 90 days. But uh, I call that a false start. Never really got in. I just... Um, but I had that experience. I thought, look, you know, I, I don't know if I need inpatient, you know, for 30 days, but I'm willing to, to get a, an, uh, an assessment. If they think I do it, I'll do it. My mom always trusted me. She, she you know, because if I'd actually, you know, uh, tell somebody uh, an absolute, I'd do my best to follow through. I didn't hardly ever do that, but I would. So I had to get the assessment. I'm off the chart. You know, they're, they, 
they said, yeah, you need inpatient. Um, so I said, all right, I got some really important things to wrap up. You know, like I had nothing going on, really. I had to, you know, ask mom to pay my rent again oh, or whatever. So I don't know. But uh, uh, we had a family business at the time and there, you know, so it was good. They were going to let me go do this. In fact, that was part of the deal. If I didn't go, they took away the, you know, the, the vehicle they let me drive. Uh-huh. I didn't have a job and, you know, and all that didn't really matter. I mean, it would have been nice, but I, I was in that place. So once I d- knew I could choose it, um, then I said, all right, let's do this. And it was scary. You know, I'm leaving this crazy relationship. I don't know what she's going to do. I got all this stuff going on, all this fear, but the fear of, of where I was at was greater than the, the fear of all that. And so mm-hmm. Um, I went, I went to treatment and that was a, you know, an experience. It was, um, profound. I had breakthroughs, my first introduction to meditation. So there you go. And that was, uh, October 6, 1994. So he asked, how did I get in? How did I get here? You know, <laughs> um, boy, to take, you know, 30 some, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, 53 years of recapitulating, you know, but that in, you know, how did I get to lighthouse and then, uh, uh, and talking about recovery, that's mm-hmm. it, you know. Well, that's, that's really, that, that, first of all, thank you. I mean, that's yeah. wonderful. The, the idea of recapitulating this story mm-hmm. in such a way and adding in you know, the new components of it. So I, I'm, I'm curious, when you, were, when you were coming out and, uh, and, and you, you realized that you were having this psychosis, uh, I mean, when you're in the jail, mm-hmm. you, you realized you were having psychosis and, and um, you know some delusional thinking, and you know what often gets labeled as schizophrenia. Um, this is that shift that um, when even even people that have schizophrenia or different forms of psychosis, um, when they make a shift that they re- they don't externalize their story anymore, and they internalize it that it's actually their it's part of them, and they're creating it. And it's not something happening to them that they realize that they can, mm-hmm. they, they themselves can, can control it up to a certain point. Um, I mean, I think of the, you know, the beautiful story of, of John Nash, you know, A Beautiful mm-hmm. Mind. Um, and th- that's a, a really good example of this. But I've also seen um, and, and worked with people in treatment that, that had, you know, have had um, psychosis and schizophrenia. And quite often introduced by um, meth abuse, it seems to be mm-hmm. a, a, a similar pattern for quite a few people, um, and not just an episode, but actually mm-hmm. it's when it comes on, um, that take that step when all of a sudden, instead of it being about something that's outside of it, that they have no control over, that actually they do take accountability and say, this is something that I am actually creating in myself. And though I may not feel like I always can choose the characters or who they are and the impact that they're having in their story, I can distinguish or differentiate what is real and what is not. Mm-hmm. And so learning that their internal reality, that where these stories are going on, are possibly different than the reality that's actually before them, where they communicate with their family mm-hmm. and friends and, and counselors and teachers and things, that... <clears throat> This is, you know, the, what I guess we talk about as being cognitive dissonance, right? You mm-hmm. can be someone who suffers from um, a, a delusion or psych, a psychotic um, disturbances, even in schizophrenia, and still at some point live what I guess we would call somewhat of an accountable normal life mm-hmm. where, where reality and the schizophrenia are at some point line up and, don't, and, and become... Um, one becomes to take ownership and accountability for those mm-hmm. um, and being able to live actually a, a, somewhat of a whole life, even with what we would call a serious mental disorder. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And it, it would be nice if, if, you know, at that time, so this was 94 <laughs> and in that first year, 1995, <laughs> uh, you know, that I had, well, it wouldn't have been nice. It, it just wasn't my experience. There, there was a, you know, it was pointing in, but I, um, I wasn't able, it still had to be, you know, an external experience. But what I was able to do is externalize it. And once again, still be authentic or be the author of my story, uh-huh. but I had to use the, the, 
initially I had to use the belief systems and the, um, you know, we've heard dogma or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I, but I still changed the story, you know. So, um, you know, while I was in treatment, I had three more profound experiences. One in meditation where, um, you know, the guided meditation uh-huh. into, into myself, right, and released myself from the shackles of shame, guilt, remorse, uh, and, uh, you know, responsibility, not accountability, but responsibility for, you know, where the shame came from of I am a bad person uh, uh, and was able to see where I, you know, I may have done bad things if we're using, you know, that terminology. But it initially it was I was able to change the the belief system to a way that allowed me um, to progress in my um, going in, you know, but it was still 31 years of, of being mm. living external. It didn't happen immediately, no, even with that profound. Yeah. And so then I, I create, you know, and, and so I said I had three more experiences. There was the meditation. Mm-hmm. And then um, at one point I went into, a, you know, a, an episode of psychosis mm-hmm. and, and said, I don't, you know, I woke up the whole damn campus right before family. Uh, weekend, you know, when everybody was coming down to mm-hmm. to do the work, you know, and uh, the stress came up, and I went into, you know, uh, almost the flashback of, oh my God, this was real, this is still part of it, and I woke up the whole camp, and then after I calmed down, um, I I was walking back to my, you know, my little hut where they had us, and 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 just collapsed on the lawn, and and I think it was that first reaching out to something bigger than me and i and i said god if there is a god mm-hmm. you know you've got to help me i'm going to hurt people you know and mm-hmm. and i'm done drinking and drugging but you got to put me where i can't hurt people because mm-hmm. i was still you know knew that i was capable of harm to myself and others and i just said help me you know put me put me away until i'm you know better or dead you know and and where that love had come in jail from the out in Mm-hmm. This time, that same sensation of love, of, and it, and love really isn't the word to explain it because we we have one word for love, you know, in this culture, and and there's many love, but I've I've learned <laughs> to know that it's the agape, you know, God's love, and God's. you know the different a couple difference, but we still I don't think we have enough language to define it, you know. So this was a a different kind of love, you know, that I'd ever experienced, but it came from in, and 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 through me and out out of me and it was with that not it was a like a voice but not you know booming mm-hmm. through the the but really a, a inner knowing and it said you're going to be all right and you'll serve others get up and i did and 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 once again this is you know just my experience it, it, it's not it doesn't have to be you, you know i've told certain people this and then they, they want to attach their agenda to it or you know, which I did, you know, I'm not, I, I get no, why they I did. Get, that's okay. And they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, you no know. No right and but, wrong here, right? <laughs> yeah, just the way I'm remembering it. But I get up and then, and every, once again, it was a new rebirth. It was different. When I go to group, um, I was, I was different in, in the process groups. I was more sharing. I was, um, I, I, I was hearing what people weren't really saying, you know, they'd say, yeah, they're willing. I'd say, no, 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 that doesn't fit, you know. People started coming to me from the, the other uh, clients at the center were coming to me, Brett, I got to talk to you. And, and I tapped into something, um, that I'd never before. And, and it was just a, a knowing, maybe a wisdom, I don't know, but, um, um, it just started happening, you know? And, and quite honestly, when I was in there, part of the delusional thinking was, geez, I've had these experiences you know, am I the second son of God? You know, I've read about the the second coming of Christ, and and I didn't. I wasn't going to tell anybody. Finally, I you know because of that you know newfound wisdom or knowing, I I did tell my counselor, and and I, I like God. You know, I I think I'm better, but I also know I'm you know delusional here. You know, <laughs> but there was something about that, and that that plays into my my you know not my the story, but into my experience of recovery is it really was and that's where we talk about the rebirth you know right. the, there has to be the the death uh so that c- there can be the resurrection and i just kept having these many deaths and resurrections you know and and that's continued through my recovery you know that a, something has to die to so something else can be born and this is uh part of my fascination with uh mythology and 
Joseph Campbell, uh, Robert Johnson, uh, recently Alan Watts, you know, this, uh, this old philosopher who just... <laughs> It's just fun, you know. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, I, I know the, yeah. the idea of addressing and, and looking, having the lens where we see, often see things as archetypes too, mm-hmm. brings a whole different, richer meaning yeah. to understanding self and, and, and the people that, that make up our lives instead of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how we let quite often just label you know, people in communities based, I mean, I'm trying to remember who I was talking to the other day and you know, they they were like, oh yes, they were saying, oh yeah, you know, I've got the the scarlet letter of of addiction and you know and and divorce and yeah, man, I'm going to get divorced again. So you know, who am I to anyone now? Who's going to want me because I have these scarlet letters? You mm-hmm. know, these labels on me of you know, thirty year old, twice divorced, recovering addict. You know, and I'm going. Uh, well, I think a lot of people would be, but yeah. if that's how you see yourself, mm-hmm. then I mean, maybe that's where to start. Is how how do you change? And well, first of all, finish unpacking the story, and then what about that? Do you want to rewrite? What yeah. if it's actually true? Mm-hmm. What what part of that story is true? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm want to switch back to to Joseph Campbell and 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 all of that that um, mysticism that comes along with taking and looking at life through a slightly different lens Mm -hmm. that looks at the greatness within us, that Mm -hmm. looks at, you know, the power to be whole. And and, and, uh, this idea of, um, I I look at it and, you know, you, you know, in the book uh, that I've described this idea, how do we become wholehearted? How do we, Mm -hmm. how do we live a life of wholeheartedness? I also made me think about when you talked about love, what do we have we have a few words for love but love is like this huge spectrum you know that mm-hmm. on one side of it um i'm going somewhere with this by the way um I know you one are. side of it <laughs> is um you know the uh the selfless love where we're just giving unconditionally from ourselves um with no expectation um with no attachment that we're we're just living in a way of of being in service and it's something that that is never depletes where on the other side of that um, is the romantic love, which is also very addictive, much like cocaine, where mm-hmm. it you know it's it's short acting, and when we're when after we have a little bit of it, we mm-hmm. <laughs> felt so good that you know we want we want more. Yeah. But I think it's the Navajos, right? And I may be wrong, but that have like you know like twenty different words for for love, like they right. do gender, right? I mean, right. they don't they yeah. identify gender mm-hmm. in so many different ways. And I, I remember I was um, when I was doing finishing up my master's, my second master's a few years ago. Um, it was we were talking about uh, couples um, and and family systems within indigenous cultures, and one of the things that stood out was is they didn't look at gender the way mm-hmm. we do today. I mean, and and I don't know if they still do or not, but my understanding is is that there are so many different aspects to gender and only part of it is based sexually mm-hmm. and that there's so many other components to it and maybe maybe our society and our culture has kind of changed some of these dynamics a little bit and we we maybe because we focus on just refining down certain aspects of this we kind of lose some of the broader brushstrokes associated with this and i suppose that kind of leads into this idea with um, with Joseph Campbell and how we go through life in in learning to be more open um, emotionally, mentally, mm-hmm. spiritually in our lives. That we don't define everything by comparison. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 when when you when you talk about that, and uh, it's the uh, I think culturally here, right and. And I want to be against it, but I'm really not. It's just you know, for me, I'm I'm trying to find words or ideas um, so that I can navigate more and more inward. That that that's you know. So I still live this external life. Uh, and you said archetypes. You know, it's a way for me to get an archetypal image so that I can know that aspect within myself. Uh, the I think it's the feeling function, right? And this is from some of the the latest uh, discovery that I'm making about myself, you know, mm-hmm. through different readings, mm-hmm. is that the, this culture, this society, that we've lost our ability to truly feel. And um, and, and that's what I'm working, because I, uh, you know, so I've, I've gained some knowledge, I've gained some understanding, but I'm still working on, on 
this idea of really feeling and the sensation of being, uh, you know, me or a human being or uh, a part of this community, you know. And and it wraps into this this idea of labels is uh, for a long time, you know, th- this idea was, you know, if, if I can identify myself as an addict, um, then I know the problem. And, and if I take care of the problem, uh-huh. then, you know, then it's roses. You know, now it's uh, uh, butterflies and hopscotch and, and joy and love and peace and, and really nirvana, you know. <laughs> well, it, it, that, that, also, <laughs> that also paints or, you know, or um, defines the, uh, the addiction as the primary problem instead of a symptom a something symptom. else, right? Yes. And that's probably, that's, you know, that's probably what we've learned. And I say we, I'm talking about you and I and, and a, a number of other people that to deal with the, the symptom doesn't end up changing anything. And to find, to find systems that can guide us and, and lead us into ways of exploring the actual underlying issues. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, you know, we use traditional methodology like cognitive behavioral therapy or we kind of take a little bit of a different turn and maybe go towards the transpersonal side of things mm-hmm. where we're looking at some of those emotional and spiritual components to self-discovery. And this ends part one of episode four with Brett Heiner. Brett Heiner.